Welcome to the house of the Lord. You may remain standing or stand, if you will, for the reading of the word. We are in the book of Ephesians today, and you may have detected from the liturgy so far that we're dealing with the issues of the church militant, the church in combat, the church in a hostile, enemy-infested world. And there Paul addresses this in his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Paul had an incredible ministry at Ephesus, but now years have gone by and he's in prison in Rome. And he writes back to the church at Ephesus, a very large city in Asia, Asia Minor. And he has already talked to them about a new man, a new man, a new person in Christ. He's talked to them about a mature man, those who've grown up into the fullness of the body of Christ. And today he talks about an armed man. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We as believers in this world are in a warfare. We're in a war. Uh, some of us don't know it because we're asleep. Some of us don't know it because we don't know which side we're on. Some of us are not aware of the warfare because the weakness is so prominent in our spiritual lives that we never even mount any kind of a defense. And some of us lack boldness and strength to prosecute the war past just defensive maneuvers. In this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he gives a very, very thorough explication of the nature of that war. He talks first about the enemy and then about the armament, the armor that the believer must wear. And then he finally speaks of the secret to it all, it is the work of the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God is the one we draw our strength from. 
And Christ the Son is pictured throughout Scripture as a warrior, much more so in the Old Testament than in the New. But there are vast portions of the Old Testament that speak of a warfare of battle, enemies being slain, strength in battle. And almost all of these passages in the Old Testament refer to the work that Christ has done. Christ is David, the anointed one, in battle with Goliath, the seed of the serpent, the representation of all that is evil. And this fight belongs to the Lord, and it must be fought in the Lord's strength. So about the best we could do this morning is to just hit the very high points across this passage. But I think that'll be enough to stimulate us to steadfastness and make us aware of the warfare we're in. But the thing I want to do is sound a note every time I get a chance that the battle is the Lord's and the victory is ensured. So we need not despair. And it's interesting that what we're called upon to do over and over in this passage is to stand. Three times it says, stand. Just stay upright. Just stay awake. Just stay alert. Just stay in the battle. Once the word stand is combined with another word and it's translated to withstand or to stand against. That's all the Lord really is calling upon us to do. That's what our armor equips us to do, is to simply take a stand. Nothing else but walk to the right side of the line that is drawn in the sand in the battle. Make sure you're on the Lord's side. Make sure you're standing in the right place. You're aligned with the right side in the the battle and the work, the fight, the slog, the warfare is done by God, the Spirit, has been done and is being done by Christ, the Son, as a mighty warrior on our behalf. So we're not called in this passage to line up and to take on the warfare all by ourselves in our own strength and claiming our own personal victories. We're called to just get in line, stand, line up, stay up. And that's what we see. The first thing that, that Paul talks about here is the enemy itself. He talks about we need to put on the armor of God, which we'll talk about in just a minute. He says that you may be able to stand, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not a physical warfare, but it is spiritual warfare. And he he outlines three things, four things that are not necessarily synonymous, but they're, they're kind of overlap. They're close. It's rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
That's the enemy. Classically in Christian theology, the enemy of the soul is always seen as the world, the flesh, and the devil. Here we have two out of those three enemies. We're not principally talking about the enemy that is enemy, the flesh, but we're talking about the enemy that is without, and that is Satan himself. There's a tremendous background to this in biblical revelation, and that is that God and Satan have been at war since the days that Satan rebelled. As a great archangel, he rebelled against God. And while his very name Lucifer meant carrier, a bearer of light, he turned into the prince of darkness. He ruled over darkness. He was consigned to planet earth and planet earth was a place of darkness and without form and void. He was comfortable there. And then God said, let there be light. And he brought the light of creation. And then he brought the light of salvation in Jesus Christ into the world. And Satan has been trying to extinguish that light and put out that light and keep it dark and dank and evil. And that's the way we feel in the world. You don't have to live very long to see what are these forces that are against us. These rulers... These government officials, look at the story of human history. It's a story of tyranny. It's a story of slavery. It's a story of oppression. It's a story of murder and conquest and pillage. The Lord said in creation to have dominion over the earth and mankind has spent all of his time having dominion over his fellow man. It seems like that they are foes that we cannot push back against. Godless antichrist ideologies. If science, if sociology can ever come up with some kind of theory and some kind of explanation that accounts for things that is contrary to the revealed Word of God, they will. Be it evolution, Marxism, one ism after another that are bought by the leaders and the powers and the authorities. That's what this second word means, is the, the people that are elevated to the high places that have the power. Ironically, we think of government as having the power of the sword. And it's interesting, the only weapon we're given to fight them is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's really what it amounts to. It, it's the Word of man as he explains creation, as he understands existence, as he understands destiny and ontology and eschatology versus what God reveals about those things. So these high places are authorities. They're, they wear the robes. They're the professors, the justices of the court. They are the clergy of liberal antichrist denominations. They teach us, they rule over us, they set rules and regulations, they prosecute, persecute, and imprison those who stand for what is right. And this is the warfare. The warfare is so arrayed against us by these cosmic forces. And they're ruled by Satan. Satan has always wanted to wear the crown. I will be like the Most High, Satan said at the very beginning. He wants to wear the crown. And he's done everything he can through human history to ruin humanity. 
It's interesting to me, God gets blamed for so many things bad in the earth, poverty and oppression, illness, sickness, natural disasters. Why did God do that? Why did God let that happen? Satan rules those things. Satan brings that malady. He, Satan is a liar. He is an oppressor. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He's a slanderer. There's two or three more I can't think of right now. But the scripture dis describes the evil one is that way. And he works two ways and they're both mentioned in the scriptures. One is he has schemes. He works covertly. He's like a spy. He's like an insurrectionist. If he can deceive us into sin, he will. If he can trick us into falling, he will. But if he can't, he will outright assault us. The wiles of the devil, the fiery darts, covert action. He will come against us with every tool in his box, with disease, with all kinds of doubt and confusion, with blasphemy against God, with questioning God. First thing Satan said was, hath God said in the garden? That was his question. That's what he asked us all the time. Has God really said that? I want you to be aware of something about God. He, he's afraid you're going to become God. That's what he told Adam and Eve. Just, just nasty, subtle, vicious, insidious thoughts that come into our hearts and minds. That's Satan. He's out to kill us if he can. So that's the enemy. I like the way it says here, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a certain splendor. There's a certain exaltation. There's a certain attractiveness to Satan's regalia. It looks good. The pleasures of sin are always pleasurable for a season, for a while. If Satan can get us bogged down in that, he will. And he will take us out. But we are told in the second half of this passage to take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. The scripture here speaks of an evil one, that is Satan, with his subtleties and his fiery darts, and an evil day. He controls the time period. This is Satan's time. He's running to and fro upon the earth. He's released to do his worst. And if it wasn't for the restraining and the redeeming work of God's Son and God's Spirit, he would completely have it to himself. We would all be lost in that darkness and not be able to find our way out except comes the light of the world, Jesus, the Son of God, who makes it His business to begin a war on Satan. Satan brings disease, Jesus heals. Satan brings death, Jesus raises from the dead. Satan brings demon possession, all kinds of mental disorders and dysfunction. Jesus calms the soul. Satan stirs up the waters. The, the Lord calms the winds and the waves. And finally, that battle takes all the way to the cross. 
where Satan struck every pinpoint of torture he could think of. Nails, thorns, spear into the incarnate Son of God on the cross. Bruising Him, crushing Him. And He took Him out. He did to Him what He wanted to do to everybody. He took Him out. But unbeknownst to the devil, or maybe even tragically, His great awareness, God, the Father, won the victory. Because He allowed Christ to descend into hell to be in the realm and under the sway and under the destiny and under the homeland of Satan himself. And then God raised him up. And that's the victory. There's a strong strain in Christian theology. And we sang some of the hymns that are related to it today. The theme is Christus Victor. Christ victorious. Christ ruling and reigning. Christ having overcome. But the battle is still there for us. And this is how we are to do it. Now, this uh, armor that's outlaid here with these uh, six pieces of armor, a lot of expositors get all excited about, oh, Paul was in prison and he was sitting next to a Roman soldier and the Roman soldier had on the full garb and he looked at that and he used it as an illustration to teach some truth about the script. The truth is that most of these images come out of the Old Testament. They don't come off the Roman soldier. They come right out of the book of Isaiah. And they're long-held images and passages that talk about the equipment and the armor of the victorious warrior that is Christ. And he lists these things. But without being too infatuated with the armaments themselves, which sometimes we get a little sidetracked on that, let's look and see what these things stand for. Truth. Righteousness. The gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. That's what these pieces all represent. Which of these are you missing in your life? Let me read the list again and ask yourself this morning, which of these are missing? Where am I vulnerable? What do I not have in my soul to be able to stand in this battle? To be able to hold up in this. Am I lacking truth? Do I not know the one who is the very truth of God? And do I not know Him in such a way that I understand who He is in His person and in His work and the revelation that God has given the light that God has shed upon all of His works and His ways that we may know God and be without sounding too uh, disrespectful, we can be impressed by it. We can be informed by who God is and what He has done and what He's capable of doing and what He will do. Are we armed with this truth? Because if we are, we're not going to be falling before the enemy. Because if we know who God is, we know that He is all-powerful. Satan is but a creature. God is almighty, eternal, 
strength, might. So we want to be on His side. How about righteousness? Do you have on the breastplate of righteousness? Is that missing in your life? If you've got some righteousness and it's your righteousness, that which you have worked and performed yourself, you're in trouble. (laughs) You need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Wearing a linen white garment that the priest wore when they had been sanctified and holy and made right before God legally and made morally pure before God in sanctification. Righteous. Right understanding and right relationship. Rightedness is what we really ought to call it. Being right. And we are that only in Christ. By that which He gives us, by taking our unrighteousness, our filth, He gives us righteousness. And righteousness comes, it's a legal term principally, and it comes to the idea of acquittal. There's no condemnation. We've been ruled, adjudicated to be righteous before God. Do you have on the breastplate of righteousness? How about your feet shod with the gospel of peace? I think you probably know where that came from out of Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountain of the feet are those that spread the gospel. Do you live the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Do you understand the gospel? Do you preach the gospel to yourself? Do you teach it to your loved ones? Do you hold on to the gospel? I know I'm undone. I know I'm a sinner, but the gospel says that I am righteous in Christ, that I am delivered, that I'm saved, that I'm redeemed, that I'm adopted, that I'm cleansed. I'm going to hold on to that good word, that gospel, that truth that's been preached to me. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you have confidence in God through the situations of life and through the various battles of the war with the world and with Satan in your life? Did you walk by sight or by faith? I remember a couple of years ago, we did a whole series on faith because we did all the particulars of the uh, heroes of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at all the facets of faith. And one of the things that encouraged me the most was look at those sorry people. You have no idea what a sinner Abraham was. (laughs) You just list them. All sorts of sin and disobedience in Abraham's life. And yet he's the father of faith. Faith takes what God says and grasps it. It doesn't worry about how you feel. It doesn't worry about what you think or someone tells you. That's the chief while of the devil is he undermines our faith. You don't really believe that, do you? Are you willing to stake your life on that? What do you mean you're a Christian? You don't sound like a Christian to me. You don't look like a Christian to me. And he brings in the seeds of doubt that undermine and erode faith. Faith is a shield. It's a protector. Salvation the helmet of salvation. This is the vital protection of the head. Or are you saved? Do you know yourself to be a person that's been rescued from your sin, from your guilt, from your condemnation? 
Oh, and the sweetest, one of the sweetest parts of salvation, you've been rescued from yourself. You no longer walk according to your own lust and your own desires and your own ways and, and lean upon your own understanding, but you walk by faith in a state of grace. Saved and knowing that you're saved. And then finally, the Word of God. And here's where we might find, as it's pointed out so often, that's the only weapon, the only offensive weapon that's given us. And it, it's the Lord's. The sharp sword that comes out of the mouth of Christ as He is depicted in the apocalypse, the revelation, is His word, it's His breath, it's His breathing. And it says in Hebrews that this word is active. It's energized. That's really the word for energy. It is powerful. It's living. It's moving. It's the Word of God. It is the thing that effects all. The thing brings it about. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Everything, even Christ in His wars with Satan in the desert, in the temptation time, spoke the Word of God. Quoting the book of Deuteronomy principally. Back to Satan, using God's Word as, a, as an implement. It's interesting that the word that's used for word in this text is the word rhema, not the word logos. The rhema Word of God is the spoken Word of God, the powerful Word of God. Everything that God does, He speaks things into existence. He spoke the universe into existence. The breath, the Word of God, that which is go forth. How, were the, how did the dead bones live in, the, in Ezekiel's valley? By preaching, preach to the bones. Speak the word of God over the bones and the bones will live. And that's the way we live. We are living by the active living word of God. And then we are pruned and we are guarded by the Word of God. It says in that passage in Hebrews 4 that the Word of God is both decisive and incisive. It divides the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It works like a scalpel, but it's a two-edged scalpel. And it works through the heart. And it's not only decisive, but it's Discerning. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is a close inspection. And then that passage says in verse 13 that no creature is hidden, that all is naked and exposed to the eye of God. And this word is a word that gives us our condemnation or our commendation. Because the Scripture says it's, we're exposed to the all-seeing eye of God, the omniscient God in every detail, and it is to Him that we must give an account and it's interesting that word for account is the word logos as well. In other words, our word, our account, our defense, that which we say about ourselves is open and absolutely exposed to God's all-seeing eye. 
We are today bare before him. You have no secrets. The thoughts and the intents of the heart. We think if we can hide our thoughts and our intents and then get away with our actions, we're all right. But the logos, the word, the judgment, the account is the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. That's how we operate. We're visual. We're empirical. God looks on the heart. He's spiritual. This is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual work. This is spiritual discernment. And what the Lord wants us to do is to stand on the right side. To be equipped, to be saved, to hold to the truth, to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, to be clinging to the gospel, to be walking by faith, and to be active as the Word animates and moves us. Stand. Persevere. Hold together. The Lord's fighting the battle. The Lord's fighting the battle. But He doesn't want us to sleep. He doesn't want us to lay down. He doesn't want us to give up. He doesn't want us to turn around. He doesn't want us to drop out. That's all we have to do is to keep clinging to Him and to everything He provides for us. Be strong in the power of His might. I like the way, he, I know he's just ending the letter, but I like the way Paul sort of says that finally. Finally. Let me say something to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You have an enemy, but you have a Savior.